Today's guest is Annie Kuntz, a professional heptathlete, former track and field athlete and soccer player at Texas A&M, and Olympian. In this episode, Annie shares her journey with mental health, nutrition, body image, and what it took to rise to the collegiate and professional level in sport. Annie shares with us how she uses resources in therapy and sports psychology to help her stay present in both her training and competitions. Annie emphasizes that we shouldn't compare our bodies to teammates or other athletes because we are all built so differently. She reminds us how beautiful our strength and muscles are as women athletes. Inspired by her own journey, Annie encourages us to challenge ourselves and see how we can push our bodies to perform to the best of our ability. She also opens up about how she uses her period as a key indicator in how she is fueling her body and leverages it for performance. In our conversation, she shares her perspective on how to deal with failure or setbacks, reframing obstacles not as a failure but as a lesson and opportunity, and how to learn from those incredible moments because we will all have them. Excited for the Viz community to hear our conversation today with another incredible athlete. Welcome to the Voice and Sport Podcast, Annie. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's incredible to see a dual athlete and all of the development that you had along your journey. So we're going to kind of talk about your journey to the Olympics because it's so interesting that you started out playing soccer. You ended up going to the Olympics in heptathlon, which is just an incredible sport and event. I don't know how you do it. So I'm excited to, I'm, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about just your journey in that because it's very inspiring. And in your first Olympics, you ended up sixth which is incredible. Like, congratulations. Thank you you so much. (laughs) It's been a journey. I bet. Yeah. And outside of representing USA track and field, you also have a huge passion for mental health um, and nutrition. So we're really going to dive in deep today on all of those components and what it means to be a female athlete. So let's first start with your journey. Take us back to, you know, when you were really young, growing up in Colorado, what sports did you play and how did you land on becoming a heptathlete? Yeah, I mean, I pretty much did everything. My parents threw me in probably every sport you can think of. I did competitive dance, I did tennis, I did golf, I did basketball. And then they just kind of let me decide what I loved more and track and soccer were the two that I kind of just fell in love with. And I've been doing both since I was two years old, track and field, and then I started soccer when I was three. So practically my whole life or since I could walk. And did both of them my whole life. So in high school, they're in the same season in Colorado. And so I basically would just train for soccer because it's a team sport and then show up for track meets when I could. And then when it was determined to do both at Texas A&M and found the schools that were interested in me for soccer because they recruit a little bit earlier. And then I would go talk to those track coaches that I was interested in soccer and see if they would allow me to do both. Fell upon Texas A&M and it was a dream come true school that I enjoyed so much. I did both all four years, did a redshirt year and did a fifth year of just track and field and got recruited from there out to the Olympic Training Center after the Rio Olympic trials. And now I've been out there for four and a half years doing just track. And that's a really quick version, but that's my journey through (laughs) track and soccer. Well, I want to go back to that time when you were loving both sports you know I think a lot of girls right now get pressured to pick one yes and especially like in high school like Mm -hmm. hey you better double down and pick one if you want to succeed so did that conversation ever come up for you and what advice would you have to girls right now if they're feeling the same pressure 
Yeah, that definitely came up. I even was pressured by like my club soccer teammates. So like not even just coaches, but I remember my club team feeling really strongly that we should give up high school soccer to dedicate all of our time to club. But some of my best friends since I could walk were in high school with me. We all played high school soccer. And I just feel like it's an experience that like you'd never get back. And I was pretty stubborn and just said, no, I'm gonna do high school soccer. I'm gonna do high school track. So I just would encourage those girls to not feel pressured. My gut told me I didn't want to give that up, and so I was just dead set on making that work, and I still got scholarships to a Division One school, so I don't think it's the end-all, be-all. I don't think you have to put all your eggs in one basket. I feel like I'm a more well-rounded athlete because I did so many different sports. I did high school volleyball. I did high school cross-country for a year, which was very short-lived. <laughs> Longer distances are not my forte. And then some of my most favorite memories are like winning state for high school. And I've I've been in so many different sports worlds and teams. and, And those are still to this day some of my favorite memories. So I would just encourage those girls to trust their gut. Don't feel pressured to do anything that they don't want to do. And yeah, I I think that worked for me. And I was really stubborn in that. And I'm kind of glad I was. (laughs) Yeah, well, I feel like, you know, even though a lot of girls are pressured to kind of pick a sport, there's so many yeah. benefits to doing multiple ones. Yeah. It teaches you the the importance of kind of that cross training. Totally. And so do you think, do you think that really helped you in the end? Like did soccer help you in the end to get to sixth place in the Olympics like, <laughs> and have tathlon? I think that you just learn different mentalities. I mean, being part of a team sport and then being part of like an individual sport in track and field, I just feel like they really balance each other out. You learn so much between those. And I I just felt like I didn't get overtrained in either one. I think that if you're just year round doing one sport, the likelihood of getting injured is a little bit higher. I would bounce around different sports and using different muscles and more balanced as an athlete. So I just think that really benefited me. And even through college, because a lot of my college friends got burnout because the off-season training in your sport is really, really tough. And I would bounce back and forth between in-season to in-season because fall was soccer. And then I would jump into in-season for track and field, which there's pros and cons to both. But I just feel like they really balanced each other out and made me really excited to get into the next sport. I'm a huge advocate for dual sport kids. And I don't like that it's so pressured now to pick one so young because I've I've learned so much through both sports and they've really carried me so far in my professional career. Okay. So if a girl's like sitting there thinking like she's literally being told by her coach right now, you need to pick, what advice would you give her? Like, what should she say back to her coach? (laughs) I mean, it's really hard. And I think it's hard for girls that young because it's a person of authority telling you what you need to do. And so it can get really confusing. I would encourage her to you know, take it back to your parents, talk it with your family, talk it over with your friends and, and see if that would be a benefit. But to just respectfully say, like, I respect your opinion, but this is really important to me. And if, if I fail, then that's on me. But this is how I feel in this moment. And I want to trust my gut and I'm not ready to give that up. That would be my encouraging words to kind of just respectfully disagree with your coach if they're really pressuring you to do one sport. Well, there you have it. Really great advice. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So you ended up going, you know, staying on track to doing both. You go to Texas Mm -hmm. A&M, but it must be tough to do like two sports, juggling school and all that. So how did you juggle two sports and what advice do you have to any athlete, even just doing one right now in college Mm -hmm. athletics to enjoy the experience, you know, and not get too stressed or pressured? What would your advice be? You know, if I could go back and like, especially in college, I think you can get really caught up in just anxieties and worries and feeling like you're missing out on another one or 
or each sport. And so I would just really encourage to be present in whatever moment you're in. That has been really grounding for me. And if I wish I could have done that back in college and even in high school, because everything's moving so quickly, especially when I was in the same season, I would go from soccer games to track meets. And I think you have to be really, really dedicated and decide this is what you want to do and then just make it work. I was really strategic and intentional with my time. I would over communicate with my coaches and come up with a plan each week that worked that wouldn't run me into the ground where I still had time to do my homework. I was in AP classes growing up and there were nights that I would stay up late because I had to and that's just part of it. But I would say over communicating with your coaches and being really intentional and dedicated to making it work because for me, it was just my passion. I, I didn't want to do anything else. And so I just found a way to make it work. There's so many times you can come up with excuses and why to miss this training or why to you know, I would have to manage my time really differently. I would miss track practice because it was the same time as soccer. So I would sometimes go to soccer and then with my sister, who's a track coach, afterwards we would find the park or the track and I would run down and get like a 30 minute training. So just being really intentional and dedicated and determined to just make it work if that's what's important to you. I love it. You obviously were successful. You made it through college as a dual sport athlete and then went on to the Olympics. So when you take a look back, what do you think contributed the most to your success? Oh, man. You know, I've honestly been so lucky and fortunate to have some incredible human beings in my life. I've just gotten really, really blessed with amazing coaches that I think instilled in me really amazing values like determination and resiliency, sacrifice, and just being a good human first, being a good teammate first. And I'm really, really fortunate looking back to just have those people in my life kind of guiding me through this whole journey that's been forever my whole life. So I definitely give so much credit to those people and just in raising me and keeping me grounded in a lot of aspects. And I'm still super close with my high school coaches. I'm still close with my first track coach ever that started with me when I was like eight years old. So I think I've been really, really lucky with that. I also just think it's been part of my personality to just be a go-getter and super, super determined and competitive, <laughs> like overly competitive, where I just, I've always wanted this. I look back and I've always, always dreamed about making the Olympics and becoming a professional athlete. And so I think I just naturally to have that you know, determination inside of me and discipline. But it's been a lot of learning experiences along the way. College was up and down. I, I you know, there's a lot of comparisons that go through when you're t training side by side with girls in college and your body's changing. And so I think I've just taken all of my failures and learned they're not failures, they're lessons. And I would say that's probably one of my biggest advice is when you do fail, you change your perspective to what did I learn from that to be successful in the future. And I think that's really carried me a long way. Yeah, it's so important. Well, so I want to talk a little bit about how you transitioned from college life to being a pro athlete. What mm -hmm. was that transition like? I would say I was all in. I always felt like that was something that I wanted to do. I was either going to go professional in soccer or track and field. Transitioning from collegiate to professional is a wake-up call. I will be the first to say that. Everything up until that moment is handed to you. You're taken care of. Your colleges are taken care of. Your travel, your, your sports med and physio people, your hotels. Everything is taken care of for you. There's a routine built in. You just kind of follow in line. When you turn to that professional phase of your life, it's all on you. And I think that was a really big wake up call, especially because I got injured pretty much like six months into training professionally. And I was out for five months. 
And that was the time I really realized like I'm on my own out here and this is on me. I don't really have a coach every day out here pushing me because my coach had other athletes that were training professionally. And so it was a huge wake up call. There were many, many, many days crying, wondering what I was doing, self-doubt, like did I make the right decision? Am I cut out for this? But I think if you just continue to, and this sounds so cliche, but trust the process and just show up every day and give your best effort. It might not show right then, but it will turn to a really positive thing later on. And if I look back at that first year and it was a huge, huge struggle, but I'm here now and I'm on the other side of it and I wouldn't be the athlete I am without those experiences. Well, I want to kind of unpack that time from when you left college to now, yeah. you're 28, you just mm -hmm. went to your first Olympics, you placed six in the heptathlon, <laughs> and let's just break down the heptathlon really quick. It's an event that has seven different events. So you have the 100 meter hurdles, the high jump, the shot put, the 200 meters long jump, the javelin throw, and the 800 meters. Yes. So, <laughs> so you know, not much. Just a few. Just a tiny <laughs> amount. So between when you left and you had that rough first year of yeah. being a pro athlete, leading up then to the Olympics in 2021, mm -hmm. tell us about that journey. And I'm sure there were ups and downs. So mm -hmm. what was the biggest struggle and how did you get through it? Oh man, I mean, there was so many struggles. I mean, when I first graduated, I came to the center. I was training with Erica Bogard, who is my now training partner. She's been the top heptathlete in the US for like the last eight years. And so I think I really struggled with comparing myself to her and just feeling like I wasn't good enough. And I struggled with my weight my first year. I had gained like, I think 10 pounds probably from when I was competing in college and wasn't understanding why. I was working out harder than I ever had. I was trying to eat what I thought was healthy. So I really struggled with that. And that mentally, I think, takes a really big toll on you because it's something that you never can put away. Like it's just constantly on your mind at every meal. And so that was a huge struggle. And then I got injured and there was a huge adversity because I was really on my own doing my own rehab for five months. And I think I really realized I am out here on my own now. I, there's no one to baby me. There's no one to help me here. This is really, if I want it, it's going to be down to me to make it happen. So that happened. And then I came in in 2018. I was really determined during that off season to come in really in shape. I did like kickboxing and classes and I was going on runs on my own. I was really, really, really working hard in that off season to come in fit. And then from there on, I started really seeing some improvement. I also found my metabolic analyst who helped me figure out my nutrition and my supplement routine. And that's when 2019 like really took off for me. And I PR'd finally, I had been searching for that PR for like two years. I had a bunch of PBs in individual events. And from there on, I've just continued to improve. But then we all hit COVID and that was a huge struggle. So it's, it really was like every other year there was something happening that it was this up and down journey. I pl kept placing like I think I got fourth or fifth at USA's like in 2017, 2018. So I was just off that top three spot and then COVID hit and I think everyone struggled. And then I struggled with mental health and depression and really battled through that, but worked my butt off through COVID because I, I didn't want to lose anything. I wanted to gain on girls and use my time efficiently. And it really made all the difference going into the Olympics and the Olympic trials. And I feel like I'm just continuing to learn more about this sport and learn more about my body and myself. And I am really excited about the future. Well, we know mental health is just such a big passion of yours. And yeah. over the past year and a half, I think COVID's really 
you know, presented a lot of challenges and a lot of us have been struggling with mental health issues. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're trying to talk about it more at Voice and Sport because it's important to get rid of the stigma. Hey, it's part of our lives. It's part of everybody's lives. And so we need to talk about it. So I want to dive a little deeper into your experience leading up to the Olympics and just how you recognize that you were having some mental health issues. Like, Mm -hmm. how did you know you were not in a good spot? And then what steps did you take to talk to somebody about it? Yeah, I mean, for me, I think I've, I've had, like, relationship depression, like, where you're just sad from a breakup. I've never had, like, I can't get out of bed in the morning and I don't know why everything in my life is great, just life depression. And that really hit me during COVID when the Olympics got postponed. And we thought they were going to get canceled at one point. And I think when you're giving up so much in your life, you're putting careers off, you're sacrificing so much for this one thing, and then that gets ripped away from you, I think a lot of us struggled with our identity and and who am I without my sport and what am I going to do if this doesn't happen? This is what I've been working for for so long. This has been my dream. So I really struggled. I remember it would take me like hours to just get out of bed in the morning. I was just dragging to do the most mundane things. I remember my dog like needed to go to the vet and I put it off for like two weeks until he was scratching himself to like bleeding because he had allergies and I just had not made the appointment. So it was just things like that that were really off for me. I'm like typically a really happy person and my light was just kind of really dimmed and it took me probably like two and a half months to not be in denial about that. I remember it kind of hit me one night where I came down to my boyfriend on the couch and I started crying and I said, I think I'm depressed and I don't know what to do about it and I just don't feel right. I don't feel like myself. I'm not happy person that I normally am. And he said, I think you're right and I think I've seen the signs and like, let's get you in somewhere to go talk to someone. So I found a therapist. She's amazing. She's like a therapist, life coach, Terry. And I, I just am so grateful I found her. I found my mental coach for sports-specific help, and I've been working with him for about a year. So I really found two people that were experts in this and and helping me get out of this lull and this slump that I was in, and it made a world of difference. And I think just realizing that you can't do it on your own sometimes and acknowledging when, when your behaviors are different than your normal behavior and you're just not really happy, you just have to recognize that and, and accept it and then take the steps to get yourself out of it. And and typically, I think that's talking to someone and finding the experts in their field to help you get out of that. Well, I love that you also, you know, you started with a psychologist and Mm -hmm. then you went even into like a more narrow field of the mental performance coaching. And they both offer really important things and perspective to yeah. us as humans, right? And I totally. do think it's it's as important as an athlete to realize that, hey, that there is the mental performance side that we Huge. need to like, you know, focus on just like our physical bodies. We need to focus on our mental performance. But then there is another component of mm-hmm. human psychology. Totally. And talk to us about the difference between your sessions that you had with mm-hmm. your mental performance coach and your psychologist. Yeah, I mean, they really bounce. I think they go pretty well together. My therapist actually has specialized in meditation for like 30 years. And then my mental coach is a mindfulness and sport mental coach. So a lot of meditation and things like that. So I'm glad that they kind of coincided really well with that. But I mean, so my therapist really gets down to those like raw things in your life, those traumas, how you grew up, your parents, what makes you you. And I think that really helped me understand 
myself on a whole other level that I never have before. Just finding out what makes you tick and why you are the way you are. My mental coach, he really helps me simplify everything within the heptathlon because there's so many events. It can get really overwhelming and there's a lot of anxieties and worries that pop up and he's really helped me become present in my life. Not just in my sport, it's really seeped into every other aspect of my life, whether it's being with my friends or my parents or just everyday situations where I'm learning how to be present in the moment that I'm in and not get lost in those past moments of depression or past things that have already happened and then worries of the future. So that's kind of the difference between the two that I experienced and I'm just super grateful for both of those people. They've made just a huge difference in my life and I am so, so grateful. That's amazing. And I wanna know for some girls that haven't ever gone to a sports psychologist or yeah. a psychologist or a coach, and they're maybe feeling like they need to, mm -hmm. but they're feeling a little hesitant. Yeah. You know, because there's a stigma and you're totally. trying to get rid of that stigma. Totally. Like, what would you say to that girl? Like, what would you want to whisper to her? I feel like there is a stigma and it's just frustrating for me because if you want to lose weight or you want to figure out your nutrition, you go and you find a nutritionist, you find a metabolic analyst, you find people that are experts in that field. If you want to get better at the heptathlon, you find a track coach that can help you with your technique. So I feel like you need a coach in that aspect, especially because it is so important in sport. Like the mental side of sport, I would say is 90% of the battle and it probably gets neglected the most. So I would just really encourage those girls to forget that stigma. It is probably the best thing you could do for yourself to get in there and, and talk through these things because just there's so many things that can happen. I, I felt even like, what am I going to talk about with this guy every week with my sport? Like, is there even anything to talk about? And before I know it, the session's over. Like, there's just things that you don't even realize you need to talk about and figure out and work through that I think it really does make a world of difference if you want to get better in your sport. And it's not even just your sport, it's your life. They're life lessons, they're life values that really will take you a long way past your sport when you get a job, when you're in a relationship. Like, it seeps into every aspect of your life. So I cannot advocate enough for therapy and mental coaching. I think it makes a world of difference. And for any of those girls that are listening, make sure you go to Voice and Sport and join us because we have some free sessions from some of the best sports psychologists, mental performance coaches, and you can also get a one-on-one -on -one with a lot of amazing women. So, so amazing. <laughs> sometimes you just got to try, you know, you got to try a bunch yes. out until you find somebody that you really connect with. And one of my biggest fears is like, like a girl's going to try one yes. and then like not have a good experience and not go back. So I would important. say too, like, cause I tried a few, like you really, that's so important. I'm glad you touched on that because it it is really just finding someone that you connect with in that. Because I've had sports psychologists in the past where I'm just like, okay, this isn't working. Like, I'm just halfway there. I'm like, okay, I'm over this. Like, what are you telling me? So I would really, really, really encourage just to keep trying until you find someone that you really connect with. And then give it like a few sessions. Because even for me, the first session, you, you can't tell enough. So I would say give it like, you know, three sessions at least to kind of get a feel. And then, and then go from there. I love it. Okay. Well, thank you. Okay. Let's talk about then how that sort of helped you get to the Olympics. So now yeah. fast forward to 2021, finding the Olympics are on, you're in Tokyo, you're about to do seven events. Like, <laughs> how do you get yourself ready for something like that? And then yeah. perform at that most elite level? Well, I mean, all of that preparation 
didn't even just start a year ago, but I've been preparing that for five years. But really, this last year, I give it all to the mental side of it. And I've been doing daily meditations. It's all about learning how to become present in the moment you're in. And that, especially with the heptathlon, with seven different events, it's so easy to get lost in all your different events and thinking about ones before you're even there and thinking about past performances or this event didn't go well and now I'm bringing that into the next. So really, really learning how to be present in the moment I am in and execute just one foot in front of the other in that moment has really, really helped me. And then it's helped me just get rid of those anxieties that, that pop up, that performance anxiety that is so common in athletes. And I, I think just simplifying things in that way really helped me come a long way because before I just would be an emotional wreck. I would take awful performances into my next one and just learning that you know, if you have a bad day, it doesn't dictate the next day. It doesn't dictate the next performance. It doesn't dictate the next moment. It's a new moment in each moment. And I think that really helped me just calm everything going into those big moments because, you know, it's five years we're training for one track meet. So you can really lose yourself in those pressure situations. And so my mental coach has helped me a ton with that. And then also just using different breathing exercises to calm my central nervous system. That helps me a ton because when your heart rate gets up and you, you feel that anxiety, I also just kind of switch it because the sensation of anxiety is the same as nervous. It's just it, when you have nerves and when you have anxiety or when you're excited, it's all the same sensation. It's just how we label them. So instead of saying like, I have anxiety right now, I'm like, oh, this just means I'm really excited. Like I care about this. And I think even just changing that perspective and then using those tools like the breathing exercises has really helped me to calm myself in those high pressure moments. And that made a world of difference this year in, in the Olympic trials and in the Olympics. Thank you for listening to the Voice in Sport podcast. My name is Elizabeth Martin, a soccer player at Emory University and producer of this week's episode. If you enjoyed this week's episode, go to voiceinsport.com join to sign up for a free membership and gain access to exclusive episodes, mentorship sessions, and other weekly content. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice and Sport. Now let's get back to the episode. So what is your favorite like go-to like breathing technique that you do before mm-hmm. race? It kind of depends if I'm doing like a sprint, like a 200 or my 100 hurdles. It's more just one count in and out, just kind of deep like like that just kind of like more quick ones because that just gets me up a little bit more where you want that adrenaline if i'm doing like a throws event or a jump i do like in for four count and then out really slow for eight count and that calms my central nervous system and you don't want to think about like bringing your shoulders up and getting tense when you're breathing it's all diaphragmic big belly breathing and a lot of that is what i've learned even through meditation i do a meditation before every meet I do it the night before. I do like a sport specific one the morning of. And then the night before I just do one that's a really calm, just being present in this moment, acceptance, a lot of acceptance meditations, which have helped me a ton because I think becoming accepting in sport is really hard, but it can be amazing if you let yourself get there, especially like with hard events like my 800, accepting pain through the race instead of denying that it's there that's helped me a ton. And yeah, so those are my little tools that I've used, especially this last year that have just really, really helped me a ton. I've seen a huge difference. 
I love that. It's such great tips. And it, you're as you're doing those breathing techniques, <laughs> they can see each other. It's like reminding me of giving birth to my two kids. <laughs> yeah, seriously. My girlfriend is pregnant and I was literally giving her my breathing techniques. Um, I was like, do this when you're, you're going through that pain, like accept that it's there. So you can yeah. use it in all aspects of your life. <laughs> That's right. You could use it in high pressure corporate settings, like you're yes. going to a boardroom. I mean, 100%. Honestly, the, those techniques that you're talking about right now are so useful for life in yes. general. So yeah. I kind of want to talk then about like the post Olympic situation, because mm -hmm. it, it can be really hard as an athlete. Like yeah. when you, so much of your identity is wrapped up in your performance and being yes. an athlete and being at the Olympics, how do you deal with like, sort of the other end of it when you come home mm -hmm. and you want to tap back into like your whole person, the whole human that you yeah. are? Can you tell, share a little bit about this? Because I, uh, one of the things often our community asks us is to, to give presentations on our platform mm -hmm. on finding your identity outside of sport. Mm -hmm. it, it's so important. So how have you sort of navigated that throughout your career and then most yeah. recently coming back from the Olympics? I think throughout my career and partly maybe because I've just done so many different sports and I've created so many relationships through that, I think that I've always been pretty good about not relying on sports for my identity. It sounds weird because I've done so many sports and it's been my whole life for as long as it has, but I really try to prioritize the things that make me happy outside of my sport. I took up pottery at one point because I loved that in high school and then I continued on. I took classes in my free time. I really prioritize time with my friends and my family because that just recharges my batteries. I find hobbies that I'm really passionate about. I walk my dog at the beach and I find little coffee shops that I love because that's like my little thing. I love finding new coffee places, books that I'm reading that are like fictional thrillers and Things like that, I think you really have to tap into and figure out what makes you happy outside of your sport and really making sure you stick to making those a priority as well in your free time. That's really helped me and like watching like HGTV and think and like flipping houses and stuff that I love that stuff. I play this little design game on my phone. It's little things like that, that you just find the other things that you're passionate about that make you you and make you happy and fill you up has really, really helped me. I know a lot of people struggle after the Olympics because it's this pinnacle moment that we've been working for for our entire lives. And then you're there and it goes by in the blink of an eye and it's over and you can kind of sit there and feel a little bit lost. And for me, I think if I hadn't done the work with my mental coach as well, just accepting moments as they come and not getting stuck in past times has really helped me. I know I did six and that sounds amazing, but I know that I can do better. It really wasn't my best meet. And so I could have gotten really down about that, but I just take it as a lesson. I accept what happened. I was proud of the way I fought through that heptathlon. And that was a huge lesson that, you know, I almost fell on the hurdles and I still play six. So I think being accepting of moments and then making sure I prioritized my time with the things that fill me up. So for me, that's like coming home right now. I'm home for 10 days with my family and friends. I'm going to an A&M CU football game. I'm doing normal life things that I don't normally get to do. And that's really helped me coming off the Olympics, enjoying my life, enjoying the people that love me. Because at the end of the day, they don't love you for your sport. They love you for you. And so really just investing in those people and those, and those friendships and those memories has really helped me kind of figure out who I am outside of my sport. Love that. Such good advice. Oh, good. <laughs>
Well, one of the one of the reasons why I, I found you was because I read this amazing NPR article <laughs> on sort of female athlete sports science. And and one thing that really stood out in that article was you had a quote that said, I've definitely had coaches in soccer and track that just bluntly would say to me, if you lost 10 pounds, you'd be great. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that I want to pivot a little bit to now like that other part of the other component of being a great athlete, which is fueling your body the right way Mm. and just kind of go back and talk about some of the things you've already said you've mentioned a little bit is like you know it's hard to not compare yourself to others along the journey and in you know in previous conversations you've mentioned that also in college you struggled in that area with you know fueling your body properly so Mm -hmm. can you kind of take us back to how that started for you and when that coach did say that how that impacted you and what it resulted in yes I mean for me, for high school, I was a beanpole. Like I was like a double zero extra long jeans. Like I was skinny, mini. People called me olive oil. And then my body changed a lot when I got to college. Your hormones set in. I was a late bloomer. I mean, you're eating things, you're drinking, you're not knowing how to feel your body properly. So I did struggle with that. I remember my training partner was smaller than me and I always was comparing myself to her body. And then you have coaches. And I think mostly male coaches I've had in my life and they just aren't tactful with the things that they say. I had some really, really blunt coaches and some would make it like it was a joke. I remember our soccer coaches would just say, oh, you're looking a little chubby or, but like in a way that they were joking and you're like, I'm going to take that to heart. And as girls, you really do. It's, it's really, really hard. And I think especially as you get into that college phase of your life, your body changes so much. Your hormones are changing a ton and it really becomes hard to navigate. And for me, I just didn't have any really great resources. I was at a division one school, but the nutritionist that we had just wasn't really helping me. And so I really struggled with comparing. I honestly struggled with that up until about 2018 when I found my metabolic analyst, because even when I got to the training, I had gained some weight and I was drinking a little bit more. I'm going to be completely blunt. Like I probably wasn't doing the things that I should in that aspect of my life, but I also was trying to eat really healthy and I wasn't understanding what I was doing wrong. It was really frustrating because I would look at my training partners and I remember they would have like a pizza at dinner, like two nights before a meet. And I'm here eating like chicken and salad and I don't understand what's going on or why I'm not looking like them. And so there was a big, big struggle for me until I found my metabolic analyst and I've learned so much about how to fuel your body. I honestly was eating a lot of the right things. It was just how I was eating them wasn't really proper for what I needed and how I needed to fuel my body. And I wasn't eating enough protein like at all. Like it was way lower than what I should have been eating. I also figured out a bunch of things about like chemicals and fragrance and how that disrupts your hormones in your body and like just different places that you carry your weight will tell you different things so like I was carrying my weight in my hamstrings and my butt it was where I would gain all my weight no matter what I did I didn't understand and my metabolic analyst Cynthia Montalioni she's out in Hawaii she's amazing she told me that that means that my hormones are imbalanced and so she put me on a supplement regimen that really helped me a ton I was deficient in magnesium I was deficient in fiber a lot of us just figuring out what your deficiencies are, where your hormone imbalances are, and then taking supplements to combat that and cutting out fragrance and chemicals in your cleaning products, in your shampoos, in your makeup, in everything that you're putting on your skin. That's your biggest organ. So if you're using stuff with chemicals and fragrance, it's going to disrupt your hormones and you're going to gain weight in your hamstrings and your butt. And so like things like that, that 
oh my gosh, like I would never like knew, know that. And I remember she took my numbers. She does like a pinch test thing. And my numbers were at, like 50, I think in my hamstrings. And after a month and a half of cutting out synthetic fragrance and changing my diet the way she told me to, I was down to like 20 or 25. So I cut my numbers in half in like a month and a half. So just finding like what works for your body. Everyone is so different too. I think that a lot of times girls think that it's like a one size fits all for nutrition or diet. And it really is about figuring out what works for you and testing different routes until you find that. Finding people that are the experts in what they do. And I was blessed enough to find Cynthia and she's helped me so much. So yeah, that's a long spiel about what I've gone through and, and kind of what I've learned. But it's really hard as young girls, especially because your hormones and your bodies are so different than guys too. So it's just really hard to figure out and navigate, I think. Well, I want to thank you for sharing that. And I, I know yeah. everybody's journey is different. I think that's mm -hmm. really important for girls to know. Everybody's yeah. body's different. Everybody's journey's different. Mm -hmm. How you fuel is going to be different. So yeah. it's so important not to compare yourself with others, yes. especially body types. You mm -hmm. know, we are all given a different type of body. Yeah. <laughs> and then we all need to fuel differently. And it's so hard to do when you're in a sport yeah. and you constantly sort of look to the left and look to the right. But it's important to know that like there's not just one body type that can be successful in in yeah. your sport and yeah you look at me and my training partner erica erica's five seven super tiny i mean her calves were like a toothpick compared to mine my quads and my hamstrings are like twice as big as hers and so i could easily get caught up in like oh i wish i looked like her but she has different strengths than I do. She's, you know, she's a little bit faster than me. I'm stronger. I'm more of like a power person. She's more of a speed person. We're just completely different athletes, but we're both successful in what we do. So I, yeah, I just, I really encourage girls to not compare to your training partners, to other girls, especially in society right now with Instagram and TikTok and everything is edited and, and it's very easy to go down that rabbit hole. So just really trying to just figure out what works for you and know that your body type might be a little bit different and that's not a bad thing. Let's like try to bust this myth that's out there that thinner is faster Ugh, and lighter that. is better. I hate it. Can we like just bust, can we bust that? How it's do we bust false. that? It's false, it's false. I like strong, like strong is better. Strong and fit is better. Muscles are amazing. They are beautiful. I am such an advocate for strong over skinny and I hate that myth because it's not true. It's not true. You're not gonna be as successful. You need your muscles, you need your strength. You need a little cushion. And so being thinner is not always better. I love that. That's also why I named the company Viz because Viz equals force and power in yes. Latin. And oh, I'm I like, that. We, we all want to embrace that. We want all girls to embrace that strength is beautiful. Oh, it's beautiful. Um, yeah. So important. So let's kind of move a little bit then into body image because I feel like mm -hmm body image and sort of eating and fueling your body right usually go hand in hand. Yeah. And we, we know it's actually one of the reasons why girls fall out of sport is, you know, they start seeing muscles. They sort yeah. of feel like it doesn't fit what society thinks girls should look like. Ugh. And then you get people dropping out, which like yeah. to me is like one of the main reasons why we're trying to have conversations like this so that girls understand that, yes, it's normal to feel yourself, but try to shift your mindset to not do that yeah. and embrace like how there are different forms of beauty out there. So, mm -hmm. you know, what would you tell a girl right now that might be struggling with body image, you know, who's maybe spending too much time on social media comparing themselves? What advice would you have for her? 
First of all, I would try to limit the social media stuff. For me, even like the three months that I was training leading up to the Olympic trials, I really just deleted Instagram off my phone during the week. So I had it during the weekends and I could get on a little bit. But I think when you're sitting there comparing yourself and seeing all these pictures of these girls that look perfect and everything is edited these days, so you don't even know what you're really looking at. I would really encourage you to just try to limit like the social media stuff especially. And I can't say enough to just embrace strength. Like it is so beautiful. Our bodies are meant to be powerful and strong and healthy. And when you're not fueling yourself properly because you're trying to be skinny or smaller or you think that's what people like, I would just encourage you to fight that and go against it and just embrace your beautiful body, see what it can do. For me, that's what motivates me a lot too, is just I wanna see what I can do. I wanna see how strong I can get. I wanna see how far I can push my body. And if that makes me a little bit stronger, even looking than like guys and stuff, I don't care. It's like, I like embrace it. I think it's amazing. And I just think beautiful, muscles are so beautiful. And yeah, I just encourage strength over skinny every day. <laughs> Absolutely. To continue listening to this episode, please go to voicesport.com and sign up for free. Annie goes on to talk about how her period helped her find ways to better fuel, and she gives us great advice on how to have potentially awkward conversations about your period and performance with a coach. We also discuss strategies on how to remain present in training and competitions and how to help a teammate who may be struggling with her training or mental health. Head to minute number 38 to get started on voiceandsport.com. This week's episode was produced and edited by Viz creator Elizabeth Martin, a soccer player from Emory University. We are so thankful that Annie shared her story with us today and excited to see all the incredible things she will achieve in sport and beyond. You can follow Annie on Instagram at Annie underscore Kuntz7 and on Twitter at Annie underscore Kuntz. Please subscribe to the Voice and Sport podcast, give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and send this episode to a friend that you think might enjoy the conversation. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok at Voice and Sport. And if you're interested in joining our community, sign up for free at voiceandsport.com to get started. When you join our community, you gain access to our exclusive content and podcasts, mentorship sessions from professional athletes, and access to the top viz experts in sports psychology and nutrition. See you next week on the Voice and Sport podcast.